We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Monday mailbag, although now it's probably going to be the Thursday mailbag this week. I'm sorry I couldn't get things done any sooner. My twin sisters had their birthday this week. Then my beautiful fiance, Janae, graduated with honors, so I went to that. I graduated as well. Then I had to go to the doctors. Now my fiance has to go to the doctor. So, you know, it's just one of those weeks. But we are here, we are doing the Monday mailbag, and I cannot wait to get into it. Some of you guys send in some really good questions. Now, how can you send in a question? Very, very simple. One of two ways. Either join our Patreon page, which will be linked in the description, and you can send in a question every week at the appropriate time, or you can join our YouTube memberships, and same thing. You add a certain tier, you can send in a question to be answered on the Monday mailbag which should be on Mondays, <laughs> just some weeks are different than others. So it's the Thursday mailbag this week, but I hope you still enjoy it. So what are our questions? The first one comes to us from Bart and Bart asks, help me compare this team to the 2006 team. Can you compare possessions and points per game and yards and points allowed for defense? Yes, I can. So here I have the 2006 offense versus the 2021 offense. We'll get to the defense in a bit. If you're watching this on YouTube, the categories that are highlighted in blue, that's the year that has the edge in that particular category. I'm doing this based on where they were ranked in that year, not based on the stat itself. If you want to talk about the stat itself and see who's better, fine. But for the most part, it really didn't matter. So I'll go through one category at a time. EPA per play, the 2006 offense is ahead at second, 2021 offense, fifth. Dropback EPA, 26, or 2006 offense is second. The 2021 offense is seventh. Rush EPA, the 2006 offense, of course, no surprise, is first. The Chargers in 2021 were 16th, which isn't great, but the year prior, I believe they were 31st. That's a huge jump for them. Now, if you're watching live, you'll see that the value for the 2021 rushing EPA PA is negative, which obviously you don't want to see a negative. With that said, I believe there were only five teams in 2021 with a positive rush EPA. So don't freak out because it's negative. Points per game, the 2006 offense was first in the league with 30.2 points per game. The Chargers offense this past year was fifth with 27.9. Not bad for a first year. 
pass blocking efficiency, just so you can compare the lines. Uh, the 2006 offense was tied for third with 89.5. 2021 offense, 87.7, good enough for fifth. So not bad. The Chargers, you know, being fifth, seventh, fifth, fifth in EPA per play, dropback EPA, points per game, and pass blocking efficiency, respectively, is not bad. Where it does get a little bit interesting is points per game. Now, they are tied in terms of where they ranked in each year. The 2006 offense was ranked second. The 2021 offense was also ranked second in points per drive. That said, the Chargers offense in 2021 did put up more points per drive than the 2006 offense. The offense, like the offense, that offense, that year, the Chargers in 2021, this offense that was very criticized and many people wanted to fire their offensive coordinator, that offense put up more points per drive than the 2006 offense. That is huge. I did not expect that going into this. Certainly not based on all the fan criticism throughout the year. But man, the Chargers, 2021 offense, already second in the league, more points per game than the 2006 offense. And they arguably already are better on paper with better pass protection, a couple of better weapons, a better running back. And going into the second year of the system, who knows where this offense can go next? The defense, no surprise in 2006, was better than the 2021 defense. Now, it's not, they weren't as slam dunk, you know, top three in most, top five in most categories, like the 2006 offense, but they're still significantly better than the 2021 defense. Now, if you're watching this live and you're looking at the table here, when you're looking at defensive EPA, or some of these rankings, a lower number is better. So the EPA per play being negative, the more negative it is, the better the number is for defense. So in 2006, I'll just go through the categories. I won't spend too much time on this one because I think everyone knows the 2021 defense wasn't great. But the 2006 defense has an edge in every category. And these categories are EPA per play, dropback EPA, rush EPA, EPA, points per game allowed, interceptions per drive, and points per drive allowed. And that's a that's a huge difference in points per drive allowed. The 2006 defense, 1.54 points per drive allowed, which ranks 7th. 2021 defense, 2.48 points per drive, which ranks 28th. So almost a whole more point per drive allowed by the 2021 defense. Not great, but obviously we hope that can be better. What do you guys think? Did you expect that the 2006 offense was actually worse? Quotes, worse in points per drive in the 2021 offense. I didn't expect that. Let me know what you think in the comments below. All right. Our next one comes to us from Marquise Joseph, and he writes, what young player is most likely to have a breakout season? Now, I, I definitely could have gone a couple of different ways with this one. I think Nasir Adderley could qualify for sure. I think Asante Samuel Jr. could qualify for sure. But to me, if I'm thinking of breakout, I'm talking a player that wasn't great but has some potential and things aligning for them where they could break out and have a stellar season, at least compared to what they were and what they were having in their seasons before. To me, I do think it is Kenneth Murray in this situation. I could absolutely see why he doesn't have a breakout season this year, and I even wrote here, it's Kenneth Murray, dot, 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 if he's healthy. But to me, I think there's enough things that are aligning for him where I do believe Kenneth Murray is the guy 
who could have the breakout year this year. Now, we sort of fell into this trap with Jerry Tillery last year, Steven in particular. Could be the same thing with Kenneth Murray. But there are just some things I feel better about and some circumstances and things that he went through last year that I hope don't happen this year that will already give him a better season just regardless of whether he's better on the field or not. So I got four reasons here for why I think it'll be Kenneth Murray. One, on and off the field stability. This is a guy who went through personal tragedy last year, who lost his brother. I can't imagine in the middle of the season with all just trying to learn the position, trying to fight for my job, trying to even get on the field because I'm hurt. And then off the field, a loved one dies very close to you, no less. I can't imagine that. And then that's, that's off the field. So again, not that that won't happen, but I'm praying that that's something that doesn't happen. And then the other thing is that he'll just have one designated starting role. I can't imagine being in his position, trying to learn a new defense, but he's the starter, then he's not the starter, which is fine. Like, I understand why they did that, but then he's an edge rusher and that doesn't work. So they put him back at inside linebacker and he's kind of back to being the backup. But then suddenly in the final week, he's thrust back as the starter. What a weird situation for him and, and really an unfair one put on him by this defensive coaching staff. So again, on and off the field stability. I think his role is defined. I think that he's going to be just no matter what, for better or worse, the starting inside linebacker. And then off the field, we just hope the same personal tragedy doesn't strike. And then hopefully, again, this this is probably the biggest one. I hope he won't head into the season with injuries. Now, he already had surgery, so we're already concerned. But it sounds like based on Brandon Staley's comments that he is going to be full speed being able to you know take on contact when training camp starts we hope so if he's healthy by that point and full speed ready to go i'm hoping that he doesn't head into the season with injuries being banged up like he was last year because at the fan fest scrimmage he had that ankle injury trying to tackle jared cook out of bounds and he got hurt and it was a bad injury i was at the scrimmage and he was on the opposing sideline almost the entire scrimmage in pain barely made it back across to the other side where he still was sitting there in pain didn't go back in so I hope that I hope there's just no injury for him. I hope he just starts the season completely healthy, mentally ready to go, physically ready to go. And that'll be huge for him as is. And then against the Raiders, he got hurt again. I believe it was the same ankle, inj ankle injury or a different one, but it was an ankle injury. And that kept him out for many games. He returned and never really was the same either. So I'm hoping that he won't head into the season with injuries. And I hope he doesn't sustain any significant injuries throughout the year. And then regardless of whether he gets better or not, it's impossible. You can't deny that the talent around him and in particular in front of him got a lot better. And that talent is going to be in its second year of the same system, or they'll be joining up in a familiar system. So you have Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Morgan Fox, Khalil Mack, Otito Ogbonia. The guys around him are going to be so much better and they're all going into they're either rejoining a familiar defense or they're joining a familiar defense or they're just going into the second year of this defense because they were on the team last year. I think no matter what, the team will just be better on defense because now they're more used to the scheme and hopefully all this talent around him makes him better too. And then finally, the most important thing, we've seen flashes. This isn't like, you know, I hate to say Jerry Tillery, but it's kind of like Jerry Tillery where we see, you know, a couple pressures, but there's never really been in my opinion, true, like excellent flashes of dominance, maybe week one and two, 2020, 
against the the Bengals and Chiefs. Otherwise, I never really saw like a complete dominant performance, at least not like the one that that Kenneth Murray had against the Patriots. Right in 2020 versus the Patriots, the stat line is incredible. Two pressures, one sack, 11 tackles, seven run stops. I believe he only allowed six yards in coverage too. Like that was the game. That was like the game where every Chargers fan said, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. This guy, they clicked for him. And if it can click for him like that, and he can, he can stack more games like that, he's going to be one of the best linebackers in the league. It never really worked out that way because again, of all things we've already talked about, but that's there. Like there is a player there that can do that. And I think there were, you know, he had a couple of games where he could do that. There's a hell, there's a game, second year game of the year where Kenneth Murray is way downfield defending against Tyreek Hill and has a pass broken up. That's impressive. And I even think, I just want to bring this last part up. In 2021, last year, final game of the year, we all kind of knocked him and made fun of him for the pass interference for not looking great on the field for taking more reps or at least more important reps than Kaiser White. But I do want to bring up that he did have two very good pressures against the Raiders that game. Now, should he do more than just pressure the quarterback? Should he avoid all the other costly mistakes? Do those pressures make up for the costly mistakes in that game? No. But for a guy that struggled to generate pressure throughout the year, and part of the reason why he was benched for Drew Tranquil after he got hurt, for him to go out and get two very quality pressures against the Raiders in his final game of the season shows me that there's definitely something there. So... Again, fingers crossed, but we'll see. All right. Thank you for the question. Uh, what do you guys think? Is Kenneth Murray the breakout candidate? Am I being too optimistic? Who would you pick? Let me know. All right. Let's move on to our next one. This one comes from Big Mike, who says, I keep hearing that Pipkins is probably the favorite to win the position over Norton. And I wondered where that rumor came from. Why do they feel that way? And if they do feel that way, why did they start Norton all, all last season? You would think that if they favored Pipkins, he would have been starting over Norton already and last year. It's kind of confusing. And yeah, I completely agree. I think I, based on the way the season ended for Trey Pipkins, or at least the last two games that he played, I think that they should have just rolled him into that final game against the Raiders because he was playing well enough. And I think he should have had some opportunity to play out the rest of the year, given how he played in those two games. But they went with Norton didn't work well. And they basically went with Norton the entire year. If Norton were available and he were healthy, they would have played him. And they they and they did. As soon as Belago went down, it was Norton. It was Norton for better or worse. It was Norton after the injury, before the bye. After the bye, it was all Norton. So why are so many fans assuming that Trey Pipkins is going to immediately win the job over Norton? Let's talk about it. So let's talk about this first quote. And it's, it was at the very end of Brandon Staley's presser where he said, we have two guys from last season, being Pipkins and Norton, that played quality football for us. I think those guys are going to compete. We also have several guys who played right tackle, Matt Filer being one of them. We have some of these young guys who played right tackle in college as well. Now, so that kind of hints that maybe there's some options, right, more than just the two guys. But then he circles back after that and says, what's not lost on us is we were a very good offensive football team last year, which is true. We talked about that. Trey and Storm, played a lot of winning football for us, and we expect those guys to continue to improve. And we feel like we've added some good depth to complete the overall offensive line. So to me, it is coming down to a Trip Pipkins versus Storm Norton competition. And right now, that is what it is. If you're looking at the OTAs, it's Storm Norton, it's Trey Pipkins. That's it. Those are your two right tackle options or your two legitimate right tackle options. 
So let's talk about the Storm Norton part. Why was he the starter all along? And to me, there's a number of reasons here. Number one, which we don't really know, Storm Norton just might have had a better training camp. It is very possible during practices, throughout the weeks, throughout the month, that Storm Norton was just flat out better. I didn't watch a whole lot of Storm Norton in particular. I was more watching the defensive guys, um, you know, Joey Bosa, Derwin James. Can't say I was focused on Storm Norton a whole lot because we expected Brian Balaga. So I really wasn't watching the right tackle as much, looking more for the rookies, of course, Rashawn Slater. Reason number two, and probably the most the most obvious reason, Trey Pipkins had an awful, awful preseason. I don't subscribe to the idea that the preseason doesn't matter because, you know, does it really matter when it comes to their performance during the year? Maybe not. But how can you give Pipkins the job outright when in three games he allowed nine pressures, three sacks, racked up three penalties? His, his pass blocking efficiency in all three of those games was 94.2. And in that first preseason game against the Rams, he allowed one pressure every five reps, give or take, with a pass blocking efficiency of 88.6. I couldn't think of a performance where somebody gave up less than a 90, like even bad performances, 91, 90 maybe. 88.6 is awful. That is a bad day. So that was a, you know, one pressure every five reps, one penalty, one sack allowed, not great. So how do you give that guy the starting job before Norton? And then without seeing him throughout the year, why would you give it back? That's the last thing you've seen. And again, if Norton had a better training camp, and if he was better in practice every day, why would you turn it over to Pipkins? And then finally, I know Steven doesn't agree that he developed this far, but he does, I believe, think that Norton developed as a run blocker. And I think that is true. And that is important to this offense. His 2021 run blocking grade from Pro Football Focus, granted, not my favorite, but I have no other metric to go off of. It was 75.5, which is 14th out of 53 starters with a 50% snap cutoff. So probably might have at least had a better training camp. He definitely had a better preseason. He certainly couldn't have had a worse preseason. And Norton was a valuable run blocker. So there are many reasons to keep him on the field and to make him the starter, even if I don't agree with it. So with all that, why would Pipkin start? Well, the most important reason is, even though Norton did start, he was awful in pass protection. And the Chargers just may seek an alternative. If you look at all tackles with, I believe, at the 20% or 50% snap threshold, Storm Norton in pass blocking grade was 54th out of 54. In terms of pressures allowed, he was 53rd out of 54. And in terms of pass blocking efficiency, he was 50th out of 54. That's not good. I majored in biology, not math. I can tell you right now, <laughs> even without that, I know this is bad. Not great. So knowing that, you would probably want to seek an alternative. We've given him an entire year. We know what he looks like throughout an entire year as a starter, unopposed, and he was awful in pass protection. Granted, better in run blocking, but in pass protection, he was awful. And if that limits what you can do on offense, you have to take him off the field. And unfortunately, even if Pipkins isn't good, even if he's bad, will he be the worst right tackle in the league? I don't know. But I don't, I don't know if he... <laughs> can it get worse than Storm Norton, basically? Or at least, can it get worse than Storm Norton was in 2021? Not really. When you're 53rd or 54th out of 54, it can't get worse. That is the worst. 
So I think they're going to roll with Pipkins or they could roll with Pipkins because it's worth a shot. It couldn't be worse. The number two, there are coaching changes, right? Frank Smith is gone. Now Brendan Nugent is in. It's possible that Frank Smith watched Storm Norton and said, hey, that's the better tackle. That's the guy that I want. It's very possible that Brendan Nugent walks in and goes, I would like to see Pep Pipkins start by tackle. It's very possible, right? That is a new thing that is different from last year. And then finally, look, Trey Pipkins is the draft pick. This is his last year. They might go, hey, let's give it a shot. And if Pipkins is really good, we'll re-sign him. Or if he's really good, he can leave. And he could pick up another contract somewhere else. Whatever. Point is, he is the draft pick. They do have more invested in him. So potentially, they do want to give it a shot. And hey, if you liked what he did in two games last year, maybe you want to see what he can do in, in 17. So we'll see. All right. Next question related to the offensive line. Help me understand. This comes just to Rick from Rick, by the way. Help me understand why Chargers coaches are so reluctant to change the left side of the line while also proclaiming that Zion is best suited to play opposite of where he succeeded in college. Is this the team scheme rationale or is it based off of individual traits they are sure of? It's a good question, Rick. And to be honest, I thought that when they drafted Zion Johnson, that that was a two birds, one stone sort of thing. Draft Zion Johnson, put him at left guard, move Matt Fowler over to the right tackle, bring back Ode Abuji. There's your offensive line. It didn't work out like that. Now Matt Filer supposedly is staying and supposedly Zion Johnson is going to be playing right tackle. And supposedly we have these two iffy tackles, you know, to put it lightly, playing for right tackle, but we'll see. But for right now, it's definitely different than when I when we saw that video of Steven Arjun and I all cheering. It's because we thought Zion was left guard. Matt Fowler is moving to right tackle. Abushi's back. Great offensive line. No, you know, we'll see. So why not shake up this offensive line? From their perspective, at least, why not shake up this offensive line? I have three reasons. Reason number one, probably the most important thing, you know what you have. You for sure have a good left tackle, left guard, center combo. Right, You don't know for sure, again, I would say this and Steven would say this, even though as much as we love Zion Johnson, you don't know for sure Zion Johnson won't bust or won't be awful in year one. And Matt Filer won't regress significantly at right tackle, even if he's played well there for another team. Even though I think Zion Johnson could be great at left guard, and even though I think Matt Filer could be at least at worst average and serviceable and right tackle, there's a chance that right now you have one problem, which is right tackle. If you move and shake things up, you might have two, three, who knows? So I think the Chargers don't want to take the mystery box option. I think they want to just go, hey, look, we're going to have 80% of a good offensive line rather than you know, maybe we can shoot for 100%, but if it all backfires, we're toast. So I think they want to go with the safer more known option and i understand that number two interior pressure affects the offense more than edge pressure so they want to keep matt filer at left guard keep zion johnson at right guard Corey lindsley at center and as staley said it's easier to help out a tackle than it is one of the interior guys they'd rather keep that interior as strong as possible to let herbert do his thing they feel like based on what they saw last year it is more important to protect the interior than the edge now, I'm not saying that they don't think that protecting the edges is important. Obviously, they just drafted Rashawn Slater. I'm just saying that I think to them, and really in the NFL, your goal is to attack 
in you know push the pocket in the interior that is more effective that creates more problems so i think even though they know there's a problem on the right side off the right edge they think they can help out the right tackle more and they think it's still better to have edge pressure than it is interior and then finally yes zion johnson does have to move but this kind of reminds me of the herbert situation he does have to move to right guard and i assume if he's moving to right guard he's going to stay there throughout his career if he does that he only has to do it once and zion johnson is a very very smart human being you know all the history at this point right very well spoken smart guy boston college two degrees this is a smart dude this is kind of a dork actually <laughs> but even though he has to move he only has to do it once and it's kind of like justin herbert he had like all we talked about last year and i even talked to arjun about it you know what's better herbert in a new system or keep the old system that wasn't as good but it's year two and you know there's growing pains for sure but justin herbert had to learn, learn that a new offense but once he got there you know the staley era as long as the staley era is here it's going to maintain that same system maybe it's not joe lombardi i think joe lombardi is going to be gone after this year but the staley era will always maintain that system and he will and herbert as long as staley is the coach or as long as someone's in place to try to run the similar system herbert will now have the same offense moving forward same thing with Zion johnson yes he's having to switch will it probably hurt his rookie season probably but he'll only have to do it once he moves to right guard he stays at right guard we're good so i think that's just kind of what they're looking at here i don't know what do you guys think does the offensive line not being shuffled bug you would you rather you know what, what's your ideal offensive line combination would you rather just Listen, Trey McKitty, Donald Parham, those guys are going to help out that right tackle side. We're going to make it work. We have Xander Horvath, whatever. We're going to make it work on the right side. Or are you just like, screw it. I don't want anything to do with those guys on the right side. Let's kick out Matt Filer and start Jamari Sailor. Let me know what you guys think. All righty. Moving on to the next question from Jacob Burham, who writes, what is the maximum number of losses that we can have and still make the playoffs slash win the division? It's very tough to predict exactly how many because every division is very different every year is a little bit different of course but last year the Steelers made it in they did make it in with nine wins but they only made it in because of some funky tiebreakers and because the Chargers lost to the Raiders to finish out the year otherwise the Steelers would have needed 10 wins to get in and the Chargers would have gotten in with 10 to me that is the magic number if you want to make the playoffs, you have to win 10 games. And I think that the Chargers win 10 games, they will make the playoffs. I think the AFC is going to beat the crap out of each other. And I think 10 wins is enough to make the postseason. Now, do you want to be the seventh seed? Probably not. But that is enough to make the postseason. Now, in terms of winning the division, I know this is crazy. 10 wins just barely makes the postseason. I think 11 wins can win the division. I think the Broncos will win more games the raiders will probably lose more games i think the chargers will win more games and i think the afc west is going to really for the first time beat everybody up including the chiefs i think the chiefs could take at least two more losses than we're used to seeing from them and i think that 11 wins could be enough with the right tiebreakers to win the division shoot for 12 right so nobody won more than 12 games last year in the afc chiefs won 12 Titans 112. Titans were the first seed in the AFC. And of course, they ended up losing immediately. 
Um, but 12 wins is definitely the, the goal, right? Well, 17 wins is the goal, but 12 is a nice realistic goal. I do think the Chargers can get there, but I think 11 wins is enough. I think you can win the division with 11, considering that this might be a year where the Broncos finally steal one game from the Chiefs and the Raiders maybe finally freaking win a game against the Chiefs. So we'll see. How many wins do you think the Chargers need? I think they need 11 to get in, or anything they need 10 to get in. I think they need 11 to win the division, but shoot for 12. What do you think? All right, last question, guys. We are almost done. Last question comes to us from NV Talent. Is there a gimmick or addition you've seen in the USFL that you want in the NFL personally? Now, full disclosure, I have not watched any USFL games, but after doing a quick Google search, I will tell you that these are three things that interest me. One of them being 16 players per team that are mic'd up. Sometimes I don't like watching mic'd ups where the player barely touches the football. Like if Keenan Allen's mic'd up, that's awesome. But if he catches, you know, two passes for 20 yards, it's not the most interesting thing. I want to see, you know, different players mic'd up so you can rotate through different guys, different parts of the game, different big plays, and get, you know, everybody's feedback live on those. The next one is helmet cams. I would love for, you know, Jalen Guyton to have had a helmet cam somehow when he caught that football from Justin Herbert for 60, whatever yards it was against the giants would have loved that view, right? Pop fly ball like that. This tiny little thing in the air, dropping 60 yards, him sprinting as fast as he can, turning around two defenders on him, splitting cover two. would have loved to see that on a helmet can. And finally, most importantly, Bobby Holly. Yes. I would have loved for Bobby Holly to be on the chargers. That's a long story at this point. Since it's now over two years old. But yes, would have loved Bobby Holly. It's a great addition for the team. There's a couple of highlight plays of him just trucking dudes. So, you know, why have a really, really good fullback who demolished people in, in training camp when you can have a guy who uh, cooks brisket really well at the direction that the Chargers went? All right, guys, that is it for the Monday mailbag. It is now the Thursday mailbag, but thanks for hanging in. Guys, if you'd like to get your questions submitted to the Monday mailbag, which I will try to keep on Mondays, I promise. Uh, go ahead and join us at YouTube memberships or on Patreon. And that's it. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Take care. And as always, bolt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.